Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the first episode at Center Stage, a podcast series dedicated to emerging sectors. We invite professionals, legal advisors operating in each selected industry and all the stakeholders who need to understand the forces driving their sector to join us. From startups to big market players, we put companies at center stage and spice up the mix by having a CMS legal professional join them for a moderated discussion. We will dig deep into the specifics of a wide range of future-facing sectors. My name is Sasha Pap and I'm your host. I'm a longtime radio guy in love with technology in all shapes and forms, and I enjoy nothing more than discussing and brainstorming about how new inventions and technologies have already changed our lives throughout history and how they will continue to change them in the future. For today's brainstorming session on medical devices, two guys will join me for discussion. Matej Vengust, CEO of NerveTech, a high-tech R&D company specializing in vehicle simulation technologies in the fields of biometric and cognitive driver evaluation, deep machine learning and data integration, a nice crossover between medical devices and autonomous vehicles. NerveTech wants to become a leader in AI-assisted medical evaluation and early diagnosis of multiple clinical states. And another guy, Robert Kordic from CMS Slovenia, an international law firm with an exceptional selection of IP and life science legal professionals who are driven by the same force as fast developing sectors, enthusiasm, curiosity, and the desire to make a meaningful change. Hello guys, and great to have you. Matej has a background in computer science. He graduated from the School of Economics and Business at the University of Ljubljana, where he specialized in business IT. Before NerveTech, Matej worked in several successful Slovenian companies, such as D-Labs and X-Lab Kufer. He is extremely passionate about new and future high-tech technologies and is always looking to see how he can put products at the theoretical and prototype stage into practice. Matej, big thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. Robert is also passionate about new technologies, but from a totally different standpoint. He is a legal professional with more than 10 years of working experience spanning from time as head of the industrial property department of the Slovenian Intellectual Property Office, where he was actively involved in the preparation and drafting of laws and EU regulations, to being a legal advisor on IP matters. And let's not forget to mention he will soon receive his PhD in intellectual property law, competition law and licensing. Robert, welcome. Thank you very much, Sasha. Okay, let's jump into today's topic, guys. Uh, medical devices. What's hot at the moment? Can you tell us what are the design and patent trends in medical devices sector? Maybe Matej? Um, sure. So, well, yeah, definitely. I mean, in, in this in these days, uh, medical devices have have grown from what usually conceived as a let's say stereotypical uh, devices that invade human body in some some way or another to a completely new level, uh, either in terms of uh, radiology, like MRI, CT scanning machines, uh, even X-rays has uh, have advanced. A lot. Then we are talking a lot about, of course, nanotech, 
uh, micro, micro, let's say, robots that would be um, inserted in your body to, 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 to do some type of evaluation, diagnosis, or even cure uh, cancer cells. I mean, kill them, <laughs> to, be, to, be, to be precise. Um, but definitely doesn't stop here. It's not just about the integration of, of new machines that are in contact with your body. We're talking a lot, of course, about also uh, artificial intelligence that helps doctors do the final, let's say, say or diagnosis uh, on different states. Um, of course, AI helps to do that a lot faster uh, and of course also more precise. Um, but human doctor is still the one who makes the call. <laughs> Robert, what do you think about it? Yeah, I also believe that, for example, the field is a very dynamic and innovative. I mean, for example, only last year, despite the pandemic, the overall numbers at the European patent application, uh, the overall numbers of the European patent applications are almost the same. And statistics published by the European Patent Office show that the innovative healthcare driven patent activity is as important as it was ever before. The medical technology was the leading field in inventions in terms of volume and together with the pharmaceutical and biotechnological sphere, they were the fastest growing areas. The medical technology accounted for the most inventions in 2020 and surpassing, for example, the digital uh, communication industry as such. And the key aspect that it's not also a very innovative but some also very R&D driven field. I mean the amount and number spent on software development or, or basically also on the development of the AI aspects in the medical device is the leading one. I would say it's an integral part of the industry as such. I mean, still lots amount of um, uh, data and information on patients is not structured. So this is one of the areas where AI can and will improve the things dramatically. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. And, and what we have to mention is one case where AI was used to interpret images that are usually sent to radiologists. Experiments have shown that the AI outperforms experts in efficiency and accuracy by an average of more than 11%. That's that's big, right? Well, yes, it is. But we still must, you know, consider that th this goes to some degree. If they are repetitive uh, or, so to say, standardized uh, scans or for standardized illnesses, then that's okay. But when it comes to some type of new form of, I don't know, uh, I wouldn't say really mutation, but when it comes to when it comes to cancer, for example, um, a lot of times there's there there are some um, let's say uh, signs that are not just I mean seen basically from the from the scanner from the picture. I mean computer vision can help a lot. But still, we must not forget that human intuition far surpasses any computing power. <laughs> so, so doctors, is, don't be worried, right? <laughs> yes. Definitely not, yes. Okay. Um, so it goes to some degree. Uh, it is a huge tool that helps doctors. Uh, but just to let all the uh, diagnosis to, to, to a computer at certain moment, it's definitely not possible yet. Okay, everybody's talking about big data and artificial intelligence. 
So what do you think is the importance of big data and AI in the medical devices sector? Well, when, is, when it comes to big data set, as we usually call, the, the, we call it sim- simplified, just big data, right? Um, well, this is the, let's say, the food for the AI algorithms, you know, to function on. So um, the more data, the more precise it gets. It's just statistics. It's simple as that. So uh, when it comes to crunching uh, big data and tons of tons of terabytes of data, then obviously computer is faster here. Uh, but when it comes to, let's say, uh, punctuality or so to say uh, emotional intelligence, when it comes to interpreting the data, then, of course, humans still have to have the the, the arm, let's say, over the decision making of a computer. But, you know, if you ask any doctors that worked before, let's say, the AI era, when it comes to computer vision and uh, uh, image recognition, they would tell you that they would probably not go back to the you know, <laughs> to the days when they just have to take the paper and, you know, uh, circle what's important and then compare it to maybe some other uh, some other um, pictures from, I don't know, some other patients. Uh, yeah, this this helps a lot, surely. I mean, and of course, in some type of illnesses, when really time is of essence, we're talking maybe even months or even weeks here, uh, that definitely, you know, is a lifesaver and a huge, huge uh, uh, aid to, to the doctor. Matej, at NerveTech, you are working with a driving simulator, so maybe a question also is um, relevant. How far are we from, uh, you know, self-driving cars? Well, from what, I mean, from what we see now, uh, quite far. Um, I mean... Okay, is, Elon yeah. Musk wouldn't agree. <laughs> Well, he's saying that for seven years now, each year he says next year you're going to have self-driving Tesla. Well, for first part, and uh, I think my colleague here will completely support me, is legislation part. Whose fault it is? Is it government's fault for the regulations? Is it insurance company? I mean, who's going to pay the damage? Is it car makers? Nobody wants to have the responsibility, right? Uh, So it's still on the human. And it will be for some time, at least 10 years. Um, Of course, there will be some separate routes where autonomous vehicles uh, can drive. But then again, how is that different from a train? You know, if you're just on a <laughs> two-dimensional, straightforward route, you know, and you can't interfere with other traffic, then not much is accomplished. When it comes to to, to self-driving, you know, uh, or driving per se, uh, whole body is involved. It's not just about intelligence or you know, computing power of your brains. Of course, they play a huge role, but you know, whole body is involved. Your hearing, your eyes, everything. We, we are trying to. To, to replace that with certain sensors like the LiDAR sensors, computer vision cameras, even sonars, I mean, uh, sound-based uh, uh, devices. But the problem here remains, you know, the what you've accomplished throughout your, throughout your life, not just driving, you know, from when you get your license, but your intuition and this, so to say, emotional intelligence can solve especially critical situations much faster and much more efficiently than any computer right now. So even a bad driver can resolve a critical situation in most cases or unpredictable situations that wasn't planned by the programmers much better than any, so to say, AI in uh, autonomous vehicle. So, um, and especially when it comes to certain situations where there maybe is no markings by the road or even, you know, tracks 
uh, I mean, the, the signs on, on the road, uh, like lines or stuff like this, then these systems completely fail. Or maybe, for example, heavy snow, when there's no visible marks or heavy fog, or even heavy rain. Uh, this, this proves difficult for even LiDAR or computer vision cameras, because if you want to have 100% computer vision uh, oriented autonomous vehicle, then you must know that there's a huge, huge supercomputer in your back, you know, I mean, in your trunk, uh, processing and struggling to process these huge amounts of data, which it compares to some previous either simulated or, you know, real life experience that it's stored, but it's never, never that fast as human brain. So um, here we are still coping with, with these problems. Um, and of course, you know, in perfect world, when, for example, Waymo or Tesla test their vehicles on a closed, uh, I mean, it's not closed to public, but they are, you know, pre-mapped roads, you know, up to scans up to a millimeter. Uh, it's completely different than putting these vehicles in Calcutta or New Delhi, you know? <laughs> I mean, they will completely fail. And traffic culture, if you go from, let's say, San Francisco to New York, down to Texas, you know, we learned that through our roadshows through the U.S., that driving culture is completely different. And this is also the huge part why autonomous vehicle that's produced and tested in, let's say, Silicon Valley won't function well in London, for example. I mean, it just doesn't compute. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And Robert, from the, from the legal aspect? Well, I believe, as Matteo already mentioned, we are still in certain aspects or only at the beginning and there are various questions which open up for example only in april this year the european union proposed an artificial intelligence regulation which sets out structures that ban uses of certain ai and heavily regulate other high risks aspects of ai and i believe as Mate already mentioned the amount of data is the crucial aspect of that those things because it's not only autonomous driving, it's various aspects, because data is the, has become the essential source for economic growth, for competitiveness, for innovation, for job creation, and other social aspects. So the amount and the necessity for data sharing will become also crucial. We have just entered a new phase in this, basically the idea of a data governance act, which is basically a legislative proposal establishing the data governance uh, framework for sharing industrial data. The initiative intends to bring together the vast amount of data produced by European industrial-based uh, uh, companies and to basically create this effect that analytical and structural data is shared and also transferable because most European companies and especially small medium enterprises are reluctant to share their data because a, mm -hmm. if you're breaching the privacy law, the confidentiality requirements and also their own uh, investment in this aspect. We will come back to breaches and data protection, but is it at all possible to patent AI inventions, Robert? Well, we have to basically consider here two aspects. AI as such is considered basically a branch of computer science, and therefore inventions involving AI are considered so-called computer-implemented inventions. In this context, the European reg uh, regulation and also the Slovenians uh, show that there are certain opportunities. I mean, 
computer implemented inventions are treated differently by patent offices in different regions. And in the European Union, for example, uh, an inv inv uh, innovation or basically an invention of uh, covering software is not possible. However, there is the possibility to patent if they have a technical character. So simplified said, you cannot program, uh, so patent a single program, but the po uh, program together with its hardware, then yes. Over the years, we have established a case law in this regards, but in recent times, a different question pumps, uh, pops up. And that's the question of whether um, the AI as such can be the inventor. And in general, from the European perspective, you have to be a human being to, to cover this. But there are several currently ongoing cases uh, by the, um, uh, in the United States and Australia and even in South Africa, where a person, Stephen uh, Taylor, filed two patent applications and he identified the inventor as Davos, an artificial intelligence system created by him. Through various loopholes, he basically provided the necessary documentation and provided the, the reason why Dabo should be the inventor. But uh, currently, um, this question is much debate and it opens basically the, the a follow-up question. Is our current patent system enough to cover all these aspects? Does it need modification? Or do AI-created inventions at the end need their own legal system? Okay. Um, what about the synergy between man and machines? So if we are talking that AI can be the inventor, this is like kind of a gray ground, right? Correct. Correct. So the synergies now come... What, what do we want, basically, with an AI? Well, there are three options. First of all, I have a problem, find a solution, and the AI should verify the solution. The second option is basically, I have a problem, and the AI serves as the problem solver and gives me the solution. These are currently possible. But I believe we are currently the farthest away from the aspect where the AI asks itself or creates the problem and solves it then also. We are still far away from this aspect and the aspects of man and machine show exactly their, their differences because at the end it can only work with the data we provided and we fit it. Yeah, new technologies are uh, something inevitable as it seems, uh, but how safe are those technologies? There have been numerous cyber attacks already, so how do we prevent breach and stealing of very personal medical data, especially if we talk about medical devices? Mm -hmm. Well, of course, uh, first of all, you know, there's legislation we have, GDPR here in Europe, for example. So there are certain levels and let's say layers of protection of what can or can't be distributed freely. Uh, this was, I guess, the first step. Then, of course, it comes to, to the vulnerable. I mean, how vulnerable is actual mainframe? and with what you attack it. And it's usually tactics, tactics uh, fight fire with fire, right? It's, you know, if there's AI helping hackers, then on the other side, there's AI helping uh, the ones who are trying to protect their data sets or whatever. Um, but here again, it comes to, 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 to human nature, I guess, you know. <laughs> Why would somebody want to steal somebody else's data 
um, well, usually they're to no good, you know, uh, kind of blackmailing, you know, all these attacks have certain, um, certain, let's say, uh, end costs in the end, usually mm. money. And uh, of course, we have also industrial espionage. I mean, there's numerous reasons why this can happen, but obviously, uh, you know, if a computer algorithm can attack, it can also protect. So here it's like, you know, cop and thieves game. <laughs> it's, it's, it's ongoing. Usually thieves are one step ahead. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. yeah. Um, but no, um, here, of course, you know, this is, I mean, data is definitely become synonym for, for, for fortunes, for money. Uh, as we can see with crypto, as we can see with huge amounts of data that uh, companies or in industry uses, definitely without that, we won't we wouldn't know the world as we know it right now. So it is there is a huge value definitely in that. So this is also wide opportunity even to think start thinking about you know stealing. Yeah, yeah. But it's one thing uh, if somebody steals the data about what I want to buy or my, you know, buying history uh, or, you know, my health data, Robert. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah that, that that's basically a huge uh, difference or at the end also not because data is data. It's become a crucial com commodity today, like almost gold. But as you said, the impact that the ransomware, spyware, or various other uh, attacks have are quite more devastating on certain uh, facilities, like for example, hospitals. In recent years, there have been several attacks on hospitals, ambulances, medical providers in Ireland, France, Germany, will then hand uh, basically at hostage that because their data was uh, coded and could not be any more accessed and it took sometimes several days weeks that basically the system went back to normal and if you can imagine in a hospital where every second sometimes means life and death the access to the data to the crucial data of the patient is of utmost importance and unfortunately, the IT systems and such public institutions have sometimes or been neglected due to various budgetary restraints and they have stretched their services. And that means that at the end, they're the last to uh, want to receive uh, sufficient financing and support to prepare against such attacks. Now, how we can change it as well? Yeah, as Matei said, the AI is the, the the computer is the problem. The computer can be the solution also to this. Okay, so we have new technologies that will help us in so many ways, but we agree we need to be careful in developing not only those, but also develop the data protection systems to avoid breach of data. But let's be honest, introduction of new technologies has never been easy and without a cost. And uh, as we, as the human race, always find solution to tackle side effects. Well, not always perfect, but close, right? So Robert and Matej, what are your thoughts on, on that? Okay, so yeah, of course, new te technologies bring great new opportunities 
and well-being for for us for the humanity um so how we tackled for example because you know at nerf pack um, basically it seems like the, the the core product is hardware but it actually it's actually not it's the algorithms that capture and interpret the data from the from the patient for example uh we just got positive opinion from our national medical devices association or agency uh, that we can use our uh, product in medicine uh, we just sold first simulator to one of the biggest rehabilitation centers here uh, in, 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 let's say, southeastern uh, Europe. Uh, so it's called Socha. You probably know know it. Um, and of course, we collect a lot of data that's connected to, to, to humans' uh, health, uh, biometric data that shows a lot about your uh, efficiency or deficiency. Uh, and one of the simplest way in the beginning we used how to protect the data was simply putting the data uh, to a different location than the person's name and it was coded. So you just got the code and the name and this data without any information about the patient or uh, about the subject is not worth a lot of money. I mean, if especially because you need region, uh, you need demographics and of course you need name you know, for, for, the, for the medical institution to be able to use that. Um, so yeah, one thing is just keeping these things apart on different servers. Uh, coded, of course, names, and this is as simple as it gets. Um, but of course, um, you know, hackers know to, <laughs> how to work this <laughs> way around this this coding. So definitely, there are numerous, you know, encrypting uh, services even uh, available online. Then you have, you know, advanced routers. But you know, since those machines was were programmed by a human being, then obviously human being can also, you know, <laughs> break into them. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, as I said, it's never ending story. You know, uh, they figure out new encryption uh, algorithm, then, you know, hackers uh, find new new way to get around it. And this is, you know, it's, it's going to, you know, it's going to, to last for some time. Quantum computers, of course, uh, promise uh, great encryption capabilities uh, they said that they will they, they will be unhackable um, but since there's no I mean there are some use cases of, of operational functionality of quantum computers they have great advantages over let's say uh, regular uh, so to say binary computers uh, for some tasks to, to, to other tasks for example they're completely uh, uncomparable so yeah it, it all depends on technology here you know and how fast the progress will go Robert yeah I mean uh, when you ask the question what's if it's worth it of course it's worth it from a legislative uh, point of view, we are at the start, but probably in the right direction. And what Matei maybe failed to mention is that a product like theirs can not only help, but also save lives. I mean, uh, we met and I had the opportunity to test their uh, simulator and the information that the uh, simulator gathers, the amount of data and for what it can be used for is almost limitless. And if you can use it also to detect various illnesses and cure uh, persons from various diseases, then yes, the, the use of data becomes every day more and more important, every day more and more vital for us. And we only need to follow up with it in a proper way. So I don't see any Terminator scenario in the near future. I only see the opportunities. Great. Matei, you want to add something? 
Yeah, so yeah, there's no Skynet yet. I mean, not like the one in the <laughs> movies, at least. Um, but yeah, as you mentioned, yeah, maybe I didn't explain enough uh, what, what we are actually into with the data we gather. So um, the point of gathering data while the body is active, uh, the brains, I mean, the whole body, um, it's, it's very crucial, actually, because when you go into, when they put you into MRI machine or a CT scan machine, you're basically, basically in some type of stasis, right? You're, I mean, they can maybe view some movie to get reaction from you, but it's completely different if you are driving a vehicle and your practically whole body, uh, basically whole body is involved into this operation and subconscious comes out. So you're doing the, let's say, reactions and, uh, you know, trying to avoid maybe hitting a kid, even in simulation on a subconscious level. It's not that you have even time to think, okay, I see a kid, then I'm gonna do that, and I'm gonna do that. No, you do multiple things at one time. So vision, hearing, all, all, all four of your limbs are involved into that process. And from this data, this data is much, much, I mean, it tells you much more about the current psychological and let's say physical state of a person than just lying in, in an MRI machine because your body is completely active and it's under stress. And this is what we want to provoke. And then you can actually see, we use really high-end uh, eye tracker from the pupil size or uh, 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 let's say pupillometry. You, we can predict diabetes in certain situations. For example, we can go into the details of how certain person um, solve certain situation of, for early signs of Alzheimer's or even Parkinson's disease. Uh, so there are really, as you said, limitless possibilities of what this data can mean to us, not just for to us, obviously, you know, for medicine. And uh, we are we are partner with Stanford University, for example, and uh, head of the big data science science lab said to us, you know, guys, you just collect as much as data as you can, even if you don't know why, what, what are you collecting? Just collect it. Uh, if, if it's EEG data, if it's ECG, if it's even gastro sensors for kind of sensing your, your uh, kind of, uh, if you're feeling well or you're upset or something like this, then of course, uh, skin perspiration, uh, then obviously skin temperature. I mean, everything you can just record it. There will be a day when the machine can tell you you know, even some things we didn't, we, we, we don't want to know, but yeah, it will be able to tell you. And uh, when it comes to early signs of diseases, this, this machine, which you can see in the back is, uh, I mean, it has great potential in the future. And, you know, we developed it with help of doctors, uh, with physicians, with psychology, uh, um, uh, with, with university for psychology, for example, uh, and of course, driving instructors, and you know, it all comes together as a as a as a whole set of of new of new data sets we can gather and help you know medical uh, industry with. It's so great that you can uh, see how much of big 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 data that you gather can uh, you can then put together and 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 find new stuff from it about the person, right? It's yeah. it's amazing. And you know, you need AI for that. If yeah, yeah. <laughs> all this raw data, for example, one drive can take up to 20 gigs of data, and you would just put a person behind it, you know, now tell the me Excel sheet. What, what's my score, what's my evaluation, what's my di diagnosis. You know, yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty hard work. I I think two months wouldn't be enough so, for one person. <laughs> but but here, it, here it happens in what two three minutes, yeah. Matej and Robert, big, big thank you for your time and big thanks to all of you watching or listening. 
Until next time, stay safe, drive safe and enjoy life. Thank you very much. Thank you.